0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to this week's New World Kirtan podcast. It's Wednesday, March 25th, 2015. I'm Kitsi Stern, and our show is produced as an act of love and service to our worldwide Kirtan community. It's also an audio journal of my spiritual journey through the practice of singing and playing Kirtan. This conversation with Sean Johnson was recorded back in December before Christmas. I had intended to release it sometime in January, but then came the epic back spasm, and so here we are, almost at the end of March. But with perfect synchronicity, Sean tells me toward the end of the interview that he will be going to Ohmfest in Bermuda in May, and I react so happily because all my peeps in Bermuda will get to see him and David Newman. Little did I know at the time that I'd be joining them there. An invitation arrived from the Kirtan community that was at Bhakti Fest last summer. And I've decided to say yes. My flight is booked, and I'm so excited. Fest is the first weekend in May, and I'll be telling you more about it as we get closer. In another beautiful synchronicity, Sean mentions that he studied with Russell Paul at the Naropa Institute. And that brings me to some exciting news. Russell Paul is coming on as a podcast sponsor. We're honored by the association. I've admired Russell's work for a long time. His book, The Yoga of Sound, is fascinating, and I highly recommend it if you want a more detailed look at our bhakti yoga practice. I've just enrolled in one of his courses, and I'll be enrolled in the Yogic Mystery School starting in May, so I'll be able to tell you in depth what his work is about. We'll also have Russell on for an interview sometime in the next month or so. I really loved having this conversation with Sean Johnson. I learned so many interesting things about the Wild Lotus Band, such as the different musical backgrounds of its members and how Hurricane Katrina brought them together. Sean talks about how he stopped singing for almost 10 years in a story that anyone who has ever had stage fright can identify with. He also tells us about the tragic drowning death of his brother Jeremy and how that event affected the music on the band's latest CD, Unity. Sean Johnson and the Wild Lotus Band will be playing at the New Orleans Jazz Festival Friday, April 24th, It's their third trip to that stage, and it's the only kirtan to ever be booked there. Here are some other highlights of their 2015 calendar. I've already mentioned Fest in Bermuda. Yay! They'll also be playing at Bhakti Fest Midwest, Floyd Yoga Jam, which I hear is a really fun festival, and Bhakti Fest West in September. If you like what you hear about the Bhakti immersion, the next one in New Orleans will be September 26th to October 3rd. There's so much stuff coming up, I can hardly keep track. My inbox of new CDs is overflowing, so we'll have a fresh track set coming soon. Maybe two. I also have several requests for a new Dance Dance Evolution set. This is the series that keeps us going to the gym, right? So that might be a priority because it's spring. And then we need one for prosperity because it's tax season. (gasps) So much kirtan, so little time. Enjoy life, my friends. And until next time, namaste. So, today I am so pleased to welcome Sean Johnson of the Wild Lotus Band to the show. Welcome, Sean. I'm looking forward to talking to you.
1: Thanks so much, Kitsi. Great to be with you.
0: Oh, it's wonderful to talk with you and learn a little bit more about you. We had such a wonderful conversation um, at Bhakti Fest on the patio, and I, I included a little bit of that in, in that podcast. But, you know, you're doing so many interesting things, and you live in New Orleans, which is one of my uh, absolutely favorite places in the world. And um, tell me, did you grow up in New Orleans?
1: I did. I grew up in New Orleans, uh, born and raised here, and uh, yeah, I'm really proud to to live here and, and, uh, uh, that this place means so much to me.
0: You can hear the influences in your music. Um, especially I think in your latest CD unity, which, um, had the distinction, uh, it debuted at number one on the iTunes world music chart. Congratulations on that. Thank you, Kitsy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And you know, we'll talk about unity in a little bit. It it it's such a moving CD on so many levels, and um, for me, and and uh, the story behind it is is even more moving. But I I just wanted to talk a, a little bit about. So you started in music. You had you were you were a singer, right? When you when you first started out, and you had an experience that I'd love you to talk about uh, about being a singer and 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 a bad experience that you had and how it influenced you
1: sure well when I was a little boy <laughs> I sang in musical theater and in the New Orleans Symphony children's chorus and I loved to sing it was just my favorite thing to do I felt most alive and most free when I sang and uh, when I was in the sixth grade uh, I was going to a school that had a chorus And the chorus teacher found out that there was a child in the school who was in the New Orleans Symphony Children's Chorus. So she sought me out and recruited me to play uh, a lead in the Christmas show that they were doing and uh, had this big solo part. And we rehearsed for weeks and uh, it was advertised, you know, all over the school. And the night of the Christmas pageant came and, you know, all the kids were there and their parents and their grandparents in this auditorium. (laughs) hundreds of people and the moment came for me to sing my solo and i went out on stage and and i started singing and it sounded something like hallelujah <gasps> <laughs> and my voice was just going places i you know it was just wild and and i didn't understand what was happening the teacher who was really invested in this program just you know collapsed into her hands and shook her head and She was just visibly embarrassed and disappointed. And I, you know, got through it somehow and, uh, you know, ran off the stage (laughs) and uh, went to bed, you know, crying that night. And the next day, all the kids were making fun of me. And the teacher was really disappointed, you know, and and, uh, I stopped singing, kitsy for 10 years. (laughs) You know how it is when you're a kid and something embarrassing happens like that. That's what happened to me. And luckily, uh, I was, uh, in college, uh, at a really amazing liberal arts college in Olympia, Washington, not too far away from you. Oh, right. Called the Evergreen State College. Yeah. And I was doing an Irish studies program. And one of the teachers, the professors, was her name was Sean Williams, and she's an ethnomusicologist who specializes in Irish singing. And I have loved my Irish heritage my whole life, and I thought, what what a great way to, connect to that, to learn some of these songs. So I started singing again. It was really scary and uh, very vulnerable, you know, to, to sing again. But I just, you know, dug into it and uh, practiced a lot behind closed doors and uh, really connected again to my voice. It was like kind of reaching in for this uh, this bird, you know, that had been caged up mm-hmm. and did you know. And so I would just sing and kind of dig in to that spirit in my body, you know, that that had been so stunted by that experience and just kind of resurrected it uh, over time and uh, started singing again. And I just have Sean, uh, my professor, you know, to to thank for that. But, you know, one of the great gifts from that experience is to be able to uh, now create safe, sacred space for other people who maybe have had a similar experience to open up their voice and sing. Mm and experience that joy and that freedom, you know, which is so powerful. The oh, voice wow. is connected, you know, to, to such a, a significant, you know, a creative impulse, you know, that we all, all have inside of ourselves, you know, as human beings. And I think that kirtan, you know, this kind of interactive chanting style music is an amazing way to wake up that spirit and and to really heal.
0: What a beautiful story and what a beautiful gift that that experience gave you um sometimes uh, the best teachers are the ones that that have had trouble learning themselves you know um and anyone who has had stage fright can can empathize with that experience i mean you just feel like you're so exposed and so vulnerable, and so, and then, oh my gosh! Anyway, well, it's kind of beautiful that the teacher, when you were young, gave you one experience, and then you had another teacher who who brought you out of it, and so that's <laughs> that's really um, that's really lovely. But yeah, kirtan is a way of of, of voices just blending together without one individual sh- standing out, and that's the point, I guess. And and that's I love that about kirtan. Me too. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you have a lot of really interesting things here. You went to the Naropa Institute in Oakland, hmm?
1: I did. Uh, I was able to study yoga and, and chanting and meditation and different spiritual practices in my uh, undergrad work at Evergreen. Uh, my first yoga teacher was a woman named Duran Crable, who was amazing and became like a spiritual mentor to me. And I felt like when I graduated from college, I actually kept applying to take more classes. (laughs) And finally, Evergreen was like, dude, you need to graduate. (laughs) But I knew that I was, I really wanted to continue to study, you know, spirituality in an experiential way, as well as an academic way. So I found a program uh, in Oakland that was uh, at the time called the University of Creation Spirituality. And it was founded by a man named Matthew Fox and some of the Listeners may have heard of him. He was once a, a Catholic priest who uh, was very revolutionary and, and had a lot of uh, really progressive ideas uh, about um, uh, resurrecting the kind of mystical tradition, you know, in, in Christianity and uh, acknowledging the amazing stories that come from quantum physics about how the world, you know, came to be and uh, honoring the the path of life, which includes uh, an acknowledgement that there are times of of struggle and adversity and sadness, but there's also times of celebration and strength in moving through that. And uh, he had uh, professors from all different spiritual backgrounds, uh, and as well as many artists teaching at the the, uh, college. During the time that I was there, it actually, uh, they developed a relationship with Naropa, And uh, Naropa has a a long-standing history in Boulder as a primarily Buddhist-oriented university. Uh, And it wanted to branch out and and have a location on the West Coast and um, to be able to to expand um, the spectrum of the spiritual teachings that they were offering as well. So I was able to study uh, uh, music and yoga and chanting. And uh, one of my professors there was uh, named Russell Paul. And he's a fantastic musician and author. He actually wrote a, a really great book called The Yoga of Sound. And I was able to do a mentorship with him you know, while I was at uh, Naropa and learned so much. It was a really, really great time.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Well, Evergreen College in Washington State must have been quite a change from New Orleans. Did it take you a while to get used to the rain and everything up there?
1: Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> really, really different. It's almost like another country. <laughs> Uh, You know, both places are like two countries under themselves compared to the rest of the states. Yeah. It it took me some time. But one of the things that's interesting about, you know, the weather up there is it definitely, I think, promotes creativity, you know, (laughs) because you got to figure out a way (laughs) to use your time and your energy, you know, indoors. I started exploring uh, chanting practice at Evergreen. Uh, I was taking a course called uh, Path. P-A-T-H, which stood for Practices Acknowledging the Heart. And uh, my professor, Duran, was introducing us to all of these spiritual practices. Uh, And what was neat about it was, you know, compared to other, say, comparative religion courses that are offered at other universities, instead of just reading, you know, and studying and learning the history or memorizing, you know, different tenets, we actually practiced, you know, uh, we, uh, we went on a 10-day silent meditation retreat. She brought in uh, Sufi uh, masters to teach us uh, Zikr, which is the Sufi uh, equivalent to Kirtan, uh-huh. where you work with uh, the 99 names of God and you chant them repeatedly and kind of go into a trance and, you know, often move your body uh, in sync with the chanting. And that was my first uh, real experience with chanting, and it just blew my heart wide open. And I just, as soon as we started, and I was singing, and I went to this deep, you know, inner place. I was like, I gotta, I gotta get more of this. Wow! <laughs> I want to keep doing this. you yeah. know. Yeah. So when I uh, when I started uh, school uh, in graduate school at Naropa, that's when I met Russell, and he introduced me to. Uh, kirtan, you know, and and, uh, uh, particularly Vedic uh, mantras. And uh, we would chant those, you know, repeatedly and and he would set this really amazing uh, space where, you know, the room was dark and there were candles and, you know, there was a sense of uh, an element of ritual. Mm -hmm. And we would, you know, we would all start to to chant together. And I just, uh, you know, it just spoke to my heart so deeply. And I just, couldn't, I I just, I knew this was going to be a a part of my life forever, you know, in those, those first days. And so I started actually uh, leading a little kirtan in the mornings. There was a room, people are going to get get a kick out of this, but there was a room at the, at the graduate school called the sacred cave. (laughs) (laughs) And so it was this small little dark, you know, Mm. space where people could go and meditate you know and get some quiet so we gathered together in the mornings uh and chanted together and uh, that's where it started that was 1997. and uh, uh, around that time i started to hear Krishna Das's music and Tal's music you know i believe their first albums were coming out you know around that time i remember seeing kd Play at Guy and Books in Berkeley. There was about twenty people there <laughs> that same year, and uh, I went and saw Jai um, play in Berkeley at a, at a at a club, a local music club called Ashkenaz, and he had his full band, the Pagan Love Orchestra, and was just really blown away, you know, by by that uh, that music, and uh, their albums. Uh, I think it was um, Pilgrim Heart and uh, Shiva Station were constantly on my playlist, you know, at the time, were real soundtrack to my life. I moved back home in 99 to New Orleans, and uh, there was a yoga studio here that invited me to teach some yoga and uh, to lead a weekly chanting session. Uh, so every Monday night, we'd gather together, and uh, we'd sing. And it just grew from there. Um, you know, the Wild Lotus Band initially was whoever, whatever musician showed up on a Monday <laughs> night you know, to jam out. And it continued like that uh, up until 2005 when Hurricane Katrina came. And uh, one of my dreams uh, after opening up my own yoga studio here in New Orleans was to eventually go on the road and do a little touring and, and sing and chant and share kirtan. But I wasn't able to do it. I was running a yoga studio and I was so tied down to the day-to-day you know, operations of the studio. It just wasn't possible. Well, Katrina came, which was uh, you know, obviously an unexpected guest and a really uh, traumatic, you know, transformative experience for everybody in New Orleans at the time. And uh, I evacuated the day before and uh, found myself in Austin, Texas with my family. And I started getting emails from all over the country from yoga studios who wanted somehow to help the people in New Orleans, particularly the yoga community. And I thought, well, how can I be an alchemist, you know, which is really what what a yogi is, you know, to transform uh, adverse situations and try to flip them? You know, kind of like we talked about earlier with the, with the singing experience. How can I turn this experience, you know, into something positive? So I decided I'm going to go on tour. And lead kirtans and raise a bunch of money, you know, for different causes related to the relief, you know, from the storm. Mm -hmm. And so put it out there. And next thing you know, we had, um, God, we must have played about 40 different places around the country. And uh, uh, my brother, Matt, was playing uh, with me a little bit at the time. So he joined me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He plays guitar and tenor sax and uh, Alvin. Uh, who's currently a uh, you know, long-standing uh, bass and guitar player in the band. He was a friend whose wife was an, uh, one of the founding staff at, at My Yoga Studio, and they had moved to Asheville, North Carolina, two weeks before the storm. So uh, one of our first uh, fundraisers was in Asheville, and there uh, I met Gwendolyn, who was living in Asheville at the time. Gwendolyn is, has been our longtime drummer, and singer in the band and uh, she was friends with the guy who was drumming with me on monday nights at the time alan frost and she had just quit all of the uh, different projects that she was in which was a flamenco band and a couple of <laughs> and she said, you know what? i'm tired of this nightclub scene
2: yeah
1: these late nights and mm-hmm. playing the same songs over and over i, I want to sing for god i want to make music for god that was her prayer and then we show up <laughs> a couple of days later. Wow. So uh, Gwendolyn ended up joining you know, the band and sort of replacing Alan, who uh, they switched lives, basically. He moved to Asheville, <laughs> became a farmer, and Gwendolyn moved to New Orleans from Asheville and became our drummer and, and uh, singer. And uh, it's, you know, our band was born out of Katrina. It was born out of that craziness and that chaos. And uh, I think that that experience has been really influential, you know, in the music that we make.
0: I didn't know that, the influence of Katrina. That's really interesting. You know, your, um, your CD, your first one, which is uh, Calling the Spirits, right? That's, That's right. Your first CD. Um, uh, there are a couple of CDs that really stand out for me in the beginning. One was Ragini. Um, which was, that was the first Kirtan CD I ever bought. And then Dave Stringer was really big in the beginning there. Krishna Das, yeah, but not, uh, yeah, of course. But um, a couple were like a lot more personal. Yours was really personal to me. I mean, I would take it around and and put it in people's hands and say, you got to listen to this. (laughs) I had never heard anything like that. Um, especially in relation to anything devotional, you know, and um, I I just, it just blew me away.
1: Uh, Calling the Spirits was interesting because it was actually originally uh, a soundtrack for uh, a yoga audio yoga class that our friend Jasmine Tarkeshi, who's one of the co-founders of Laughing Lotus Yoga in New York and San Francisco, she asked us to make some music for a yoga recording that she was doing and she flew us up to new york and we uh we recorded some some songs and some ideas and when we were done with that we listened to it and we were like wow this is cool <laughs> we have something here let's make an album you know so so we we had a short period of time a very limited budget and we just decided to take it a few steps you know further and uh, that was uh really one of my first times uh in the recording studio, I'd done some home studio projects uh, before that, and uh, yeah, it was it was great. It was uh, a couple of years after Katrina, that experience was still really raw, you know, in in our minds and hearts, and uh, we definitely poured, you know, that into that recording.
0: man, you do some, some of your favorite, like, uh, festival things are from Divaloka. Loka, the, um, the Hanuman and the, uh, Ram Ram Sita Ram. Uh, uh, I love them whenever you start them what, and what, and all the ones on Diva Loka are, 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 are for a purpose, right? Like, so, so Ram Ram Sita Ram is for union, right? And I was thinking, Wow, well you know, that really accomplishes that goal at a festival <laughs> because it gets everybody up dancing, even people who don't usually dance like me. I have to get up and dance to that. Oh, it's God. yeah. <laughs> it's 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 compelling. <laughs>
3: Sitara <laughs>
1: was a a leap for sure Uh, it was um, uh, actually you know we were on a new tone records so we had the budget to actually go in and for an extended period of time and work in the studio and we had a lot of time to really sketch out and and plan you know what we wanted to to do there and it allowed us to really make a, a, a leap there And then, you know, Unity, we we took another five years, you know, between Devaloka and Unity and played a a hell of a lot between, you know, those two periods of time. And one of the things that I am so grateful for, and it's a pretty, I think it's a pretty unique situation, is we're actually a band, you know, and and we we have been playing together going on 10 years and creating music together, you know, as equals And uh, uh, it's a different situation than a single artist who picks up band members wherever they go. We have, you know, been blessed to be able to travel together all this period of time to record together exclusively. And that uh, amount of time spent together has really enabled us to develop a unique sound, you know, that we're all influencing, you know, in our own way. And so... uh, Alvin, you know, is a, is a real, um, uh, has such depth and a history, you know, with the music that he's made. He played in New Orleans for years, uh, on the local music scene here, playing jazz and, and, and rock and, and, and funk. And he also has played in orchestras in Europe. Uh, and, um, uh, he just brings a real, um, uh, musical intelligence, you know, to what we have to offer. And, uh, he's such a Humble and a little bit shy guy. That oftentimes you don't get to hear that, but he actually has played with some amazing artists like uh, Wynton Marsalis and Branford oh, Marsalis, and and uh, some local New Orleans legends like James Booker and James Black. And but Alvin's just so he's just so humble. You know, you would never. So I get to, I get to <laughs> brag on him. <laughs> so he's just a, a, a masterful bass player. He's not just holding down the groove. He's very melodic you know, in his playing, yeah, and, uh, you know, he's really, um, he, he's really composing, you know, and improvising a lot on the bass, and then guitar has been an instrument that he's gotten back into deeper in the last few years, and uh, he adds so much flavor, you know, to the guitar parts, especially on, on this latest album, he was starting to experiment with slide guitar, which you can hear on several of the songs, and uh, it's added like a whole new voice to the, to the mix. <laughs> Gwendolyn is just uh, such an um, incredible percussionist and and vocalist. And what's interesting is she has a little bit of a similar story, different circumstances to you know, letting her voice go. Uh, she did some opera tra- training in her early years and got kind of turned off by that and stopped singing for a long period of time. And then the kirtan has really enabled her to resurrect her voice, which is so powerful and so moving and it's one of my favorite you know female voices in the kirtan world yes it's such a joy to sing with her you know and blend our voices together and she you know she plays frame drum that's the real heart of her dashboard as a percussionist is her frame drum she plays kick drum and hi-hat and doom and she has a a really strong uh, uh, background in middle eastern rhythms uh, which you can really hear on the first track of Mm -hmm. the album uh, ganesh's belly dance and uh, she also loves uh, to play in a subtle way. She really likes to kind of bring out different nuances in the percussion that she does, rather than just sort of bang it, <laughs> bang it out. She really loves to kind of bring out these different subtler you know, flavors and, and nuances in her playing. So I feel so grateful you know, that we've been able to be together as a trio and really make music together.
3: se
0: You can really hear the influence, the New Orleans influence in Unity, and uh, there's there, it, it's so it's so powerful. It's beautiful, but it's also powerful. And I, I'd I'd like you to share a little bit about the backstory of what happened in your family before you made this CD, which was um, it, it reverberated throughout the entire Kirtan community. But and but I'd like to hear you tell it in your words. What happened?
1: Sure. Um, Well, about, uh, let me think about the timing. Well, I'll I'll share that during the the lead up to our recording, Unity, uh, my brother Jeremy passed away unexpectedly. He uh, was on a an annual trip with some dear friends of his that he's been doing for the last 16 years to uh, uh, a condo in Florida. And uh, he went out swimming with his friends and uh, there was a a riptide or some sort of undertow and and he drowned. Uh, And this was just a, a, a great shock to my family and uh you know something that it's hard to really put into words but it was just uh you know it just has changed us forever you know jeremy uh was uh just a pillar of our family and uh just at a incredible peak in his life and um full of humor and, and intelligence and uh he was a real glue, you know, to, to our, to our family. And, and I just, you know, I still, it's been a couple of years now, I guess we're going on a couple of years and I, um, I still can't believe that it happened. I still, you know, wince every time I think about it. So that, that experience, uh, was definitely an influence, you know, in, in the music, uh, obviously, you know, any, artist is going to hopefully uh, pour whatever is happening you know in their life into their art and uh, and I was really no choice for me you know in doing that so uh, yeah definitely the the grief that I felt um, and my desire for other people to um, I know that we all have to go through this experience at some point of losing a loved one and uh, you know it became an intention of mine to try to make music or pour some something into this album that would have the potential of supporting uh, other people who are going through you know that kind of adversity or, or challenges i think that's one of the greatest values of of music so that's yeah, that that uh, that's that was my desire, you know, in my prayer, in my intention, and uh, I, you know, we we recorded Unity in a beautiful studio uh, where it's actually called Sound Temple Studio. So it's built to be a sacred space, and I made an altar. Uh, I de- We you know I we dedicated the album to Jeremy. And uh, my, you know, it's been it's been a definitely a gift from my family, particularly my parents. You know, they listen to it every day, and they know that it's an album that represents my brother. You know, and and uh, that because it's dedicated to him, and because so much feeling has been poured into the music that's that's uh, directed towards my love, you know, of Jeremy that it's something that is a real marker, you know, of, of his life uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, that's 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 a little bit of that story The way of
3: love
1: is not a,
3: a subtle argument. The door there is devil. of their freedom.
1: feel like music is one of the greatest healing uh, offerings that we can we can engage with that can be a comp- uh, feelings and qualities of the human experience, you know, and and uh, that contrast between the dark and the light and uh, melancholy and revelation, uh, I think, is so essential, you know, to the human experience. So one of the things that we put a lot of emphasis on when we're composing our music is to really have it be emotionally and musically dynamic, you know, to be able to guide ourselves and in turn the people who are chanting with us through a, a different spectrum of feeling and emotion and and authenticity, you know, and and so to have some songs that, you know, create the opportunity for people to tap into their heart you know and open up emotionally that's really that's what to me that's what bhakti is all about yeah yeah and uh so we weren't we don't shy away from a little angst (laughs) here (laughs) and there and uh some sadness you know and some melancholy uh and and then also you know contrasting that with uh you know brighter moments in our music and i feel like the whole album you know, allows for people to travel through those different states.
0: Oh, I totally agree. Like the um, the man in blue, the back porch maha mantra. That's one of the most joyful songs I have ever heard. And I've heard you perform it um, at festivals. And that's another one that gets people up dancing and just in the pure sheer joy of it. Bravo! It's interesting, this whole adaptation of Kirtan to the West, um, uh, it, it, it's all about that, but it's all about the same thing, too, you know, about the names and um, a, a greater knowledge of the practice and bringing it into a whole different civilization that might be not quite quite ready to accept it in, in its um, Indian cultural terms, but to make it easier and accessible for Westerners, I, I mean, the beauty of the practice is... It, it transcends cultures. So, um, you know, and from what I hear, a, a lot of this is revitalizing, um, Indians interest in this practice that they thought, you know, was kind of old school or old fuddy duddy or whatever, or something their parents and grandparents did. Um, you know, the interest in the West is, is sparking interest, uh, back in India. So that's, that's kind of an interesting circle there too, you know, um, how that's working. But, um, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: I was going to share that, uh, you know, during the early years of uh, of sharing Kirtan, one of my uh, perhaps unreasonable fears was that, you know, an Indian person would show up and be like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs>
3: you
1: You're blasphemer. You're polluting this, this lineage and, you know, know. the is horrible, you know. <laughs> So Alvin and Gwendolyn and I would often, you know, just driving, you know, come up with these scenarios, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, we've had some experience. Like, real uh, never met. I'm, I'm sure that there are people out there, you know, the, uh, you can't ex- you can't expect to make everybody happy or to have everybody love what you do. But overwhelmingly, you know, whenever we have had uh, Indian folks come, they it's been great. You know, they've been super receptive, and uh, I, I actually have had a couple of. Women come up to me just separate occasions and they said <laughs> I wish that they made music like this in the temple that I go to. <laughs> I would go there more. <laughs> I think it's important to honor and respect the roots of this tradition you know very very much and then one thing that I learned early on was uh, you know when I first started practicing and studying uh, I studied Indian classical music and uh, I tried you know as hard as I could to sound like my teachers and uh, I just couldn't, you know, and, and I realized I'm not Indian. <laughs> yes. yeah. I'm American. I'm from New Orleans, and, and I want to honor and celebrate this tradition, but I got to be myself. And there's that question of authenticity. And I think that, uh, you know, one way of looking at what's authentic is if you're really coming from your own roots, you know, and you're coming from a deep, sincere place from your own life and your own influences, that's what brings a sense of authenticity, you know, to, to what's offered.
3: Me takuye ye o All my relations Me takuye ye o All my relations
0: little bit about some of the things that are coming up uh some of the things that you offer look so interesting like the eight-day bhakti immersion what's that like
1: well it's eight days of chanting and storytelling and journaling and dance and um basic lessons on harmonium and drums and guitar and we have it in new orleans at my yoga studio and um We really try to integrate New Orleans culture into Uh, the experience, and we make it pretty personal. Uh, There's a couple of nights where we invite everybody over to our homes, and we have a catered dinner. Uh, There's another night where Gwendolyn takes everybody out on the town for (laughs) live local music, and we always say we make you sign a waiver (laughs) before you go out there with crazy Gwendolyn. uh, I bet that would be a blast. (laughs) It, yeah, one one of the last nights we have a celebration at Gwendolyn's house in her backyard. We we hire a, a live uh, local funk band, and everybody takes their shoes off and dances barefoot <laughs> on her back lawn while the funk <laughs> band plays. And uh, it's really fun. It's really transformational. It's uh, it's really about um, learning and delving and experiencing personally a lot of the different elements of bhakti yoga obviously obviously there's kirtan and chanting but we also go into poetry and storytelling and mythology and uh, dance and really just try to make it this interactive um, you know full spectrum experience of bhakti and one of the things that's really beautiful is just watching people in the group um, open up their own voice you know and and there's space for people to write their own poems and and uh, and sing and and jam together, and uh, it's just it's a wonderful experience. Alvin and Gwendolyn and I always find it to be transformative for us. We get so much out of it, and uh, it's like a big family. You once you go through that experience, you know, we we bump into all of our alumni around the country. You know, when we're touring, <laughs> we've actually had a few people come from overseas as well for it. Oh, so. that
0: oh that sounds that like, sounds so, like much so much fun. fun, and and influenced by. New Orleans I mean wow <laughs> wow yeah New Orleans is such a great place um, and then you're going to Bermuda in May with David Newman
1: yeah we're doing a weekend called Ohm Fest with uh, David Newman and Mira in Bermuda some beautiful uh, folks who you featured on one of your podcasts after Bhakti Fest who uh, traveled over to Bhakti Fest together and are building uh, a really great uh, Bhakti community in Bermuda and so the first weekend of May, we're going to be there uh, doing programs with David. That'll include uh, lots of Kirtan and Dharma talks from David based on his uh, Time-Bound Traveler book. And uh, we'll be doing some Bhakti on the mat and, and sharing a little bit of Bhakti poetry as well. Should be really great. It's my first time in Bermuda. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Oh, my goodness. They will be just delighted. That's going to be like a really great retreat. They're coming. Um, and then... Um, uh, Bhakti Fest Midwest you're going to do the pre-intensive huh? so you'll be there a day early
1: yeah we'll be there a day early we'll be offering uh, an all day program on Thursday before the festival starts we did the same thing last year and we had a really awesome group of people and that'll be a little microcosm of uh, of our Bhakti immersion just seeking to uh, you know, bring a little bit more depth with the extended period of time you can only go so far in an hour and a half or two hours so to be able to hang out for you know six or seven hours together uh, should be really great. And that, that Bhakti community in the Midwest is so, so sweet. Yeah. Love, love those folks.
0: Oh, I love that festival, except for the mosquitoes. The mosquitoes, well, you guys must be used to mosquitoes in um, New Orleans. And I certainly didn't mind them all that much when I was in Philadelphia, when I lived there. I mean, they were just part of life, but... I don't know. Are the mosquitoes in the Midwest like more voracious or is it just they're after me? I, I, you know, they (laughs) come home just covered in bites no matter what I do. So, uh, I, I I think they should get bats. I really do. Like bats, bats apparently really work well for mosquitoes, you know, bat houses. Um, anyway, just a thought, (laughs) just that to the Alliance center. Um, but, uh, but anyway, yeah, it sounds as though you've got so much great stuff coming up. And, um, uh, and I mean, just in the next month or so, uh, I, these things are sold out, though, right? But, I mean, there's a Bhakti immersion and then a Kripalu, uh, with, uh with David Newman. That's right after Christmas, right?
1: Yeah, that'll be over New Year's. It's a five-day program that we do every year. Uh, we've done it with David, so it'll be our fourth year together. And, uh, it's a really sweet place to be, you know, at that time of the year, it's it's often snowing outside Mm. and, uh, you know, it's really, really, I love Kripalu, you know, so much. So that's coming up. And then Bhakti immersion in March, I think we have one spot left right now, but we do have a waiting list if anybody wants to inquire, um, and, uh. Then we'll be playing the New Orleans Jazz Festival again in April. Uh, just got a call from them a couple of days ago. So we're really, really excited. We're the only Kirtan band that, that has ever played Jazz Fest. And uh, I'm sure a lot of the listeners know it's a major music festival where you have everything from like last year we played, and, and on the same day we were playing Fish and Robert Plant
2: wow. and
1: uh, Robin Thicke, you know, uh, okay. playing. And then, you know, have got a lot of amazing Louisiana artists from all the different, you know, roots music that's represented here. So that'll be April 24th. Anybody wants to come down to New Orleans? <laughs> Check that out. And, You know, summer's always busy. We've got uh, a Bhakti Fest and uh, we have uh, uh, some other festivals. And uh, we play the Floyd Yoga Jam in Floyd, Virginia uh, over Labor Day weekend, which is fantastic southern hospitality. And uh, we're at the Ojai Yoga Crib in Ojai, California in October.
0: Oh my, oh, my goodness. So you're going to be out in our neck of the woods in, in the fall, huh? Well, I guess you'll be there for Bhakti Fest, huh? <laughs> well, you know, um, it, it really has just been such a delight talking to you today and finding out a little bit more about you and your music and um, always have, have wanted to just find out a little bit more about your background. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on today. Thank you so much, Kitsi. I
1: really respect and admire, you know, what you do and the resource that you've offered the, the Bhakti world and people who are stumbling upon it, you know, and getting turned on to this music and, and the artists. Thank you for, I, I speak on behalf of all the artists who are just so grateful that you're sharing our music and making it, you know, more more well-known out there. Appreciate it.
0: Oh, it is my pleasure. My pleasure. I often say um, it's been a huge gift to me. The, the, the podcast the podcast and the people that it's brought me in touch with and the community that has brought into my life, um, and the changes that it's making in, in me as a person, um, I, I count it as one of my biggest blessings. You know, I thank God every day for the podcast, um, because it's just, um, it's been transformative for me. Um, so, uh, I just want to thank you for being part of that experience because your music has just been part of it since the beginning, really.
1: Thank you so much, Kitsi.
0: Oh, my pleasure. I hope to see you again soon.
1: All right. Take care. Bye-bye.